Hey folks, it's Adam Summer this week on the Heartland Pod for November 1st, 2021. I have a chat with Trish Gunby, Democratic primary candidate in the Missouri 2nd Congressional District. Then in talking politics, Rachel Parker and Sean Diller join me as usual, and we get into the Build Back Better developments, Iowa's new unemployment development, the mystery of Senator Kristen Sinema, Texas snowflakes, the field in the Missouri 4th Congressional District race, the climate and inflation, plus our final thoughts. But first, I have an opening statement about the next step. So here we go. Welcome back to the Heartland Pod. My name is Adam Summer, and I am your host. For the folks just joining us, we're glad you stopped by, and we hope you enjoy the stay. We hope you come back again and again, just like so many others have. You can follow us on the socials uh, at the Heartland Pod on Twitter, uh, the Heartland Pod on Facebook as well. Find us online, heartlandpod.com. And folks, the Patreon subscription look. If you have not yet checked out the features, if you're, especially if you're a longtime listener, you got to check it out. For five bucks a month, you're going to get extra content, including this week, we're going to have the first last call that's going to be exclusive. It is Patreon subscribers only. Go to patreon.com, search the Heartland Pod. You can click the link in the show notes. You can click the link on our Twitter bio, on our Facebook bio. It's on theheartlandpod.com. It's it's very easy to get signed up. Come on and have some fun, especially if you already have a Patreon account. If you already support another podcast or something like that, all you got to do is use the same account, sign up for the Heartland Pod, and you get our features as well. Last week, uh, Rachel published her first piece about big tech, not just Facebook, but sort of centered on the Facebook stuff that's happening. And uh, that that's kind of a preview of what's going to be coming. So that one was free. The rest of that is going to be part of the membership, the Heartland News. It's going to include those deep thought pieces by Rachel, those investigative type pieces, along with you know plenty of other stuff. We're going to have other people submitting to that as well. One of the things that will be part of that is uh, you'll get access to uh, some of my opening statements. So uh, sometimes when I do these uh, opening statements, not not this part, but the, the actual formal part, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, some of those are completely off the cuff. Some of them. Most of them, I've written something. Uh, maybe I haven't formalized it as far as something that I would typically have somebody read, but I can go back and with a little bit of effort, a little bit of work, I can turn it into more of like a, a, a you know, almost like a short philosophical article or an op-ed or something like that. So uh, I'm doing that. So I have posted the first one. It's members only. So unless you're a Patreon member, you don't see it on there. But if you're a Patreon member, there it is. Uh, and you can utilize it. So so if you like the opening statements, if you'd like to have access to that kind of a thing, that's how you do that, uh, along with all the other stuff. Five bucks a month unlocks a ton of stuff. At 10 bucks a month, there's even more. Plus, there's going to be some very cool merchandise that's going to get sent to you at that level. And then onto the 20 bucks a month, there's even more to unlock even more to do, uh, more merchandise, all that stuff. So become a, an official pod head at five bucks a month or an, a hardcore pod head at 10 bucks a month or a podgressive, a true podgressive at 20 bucks a month and support the work that we are doing here. We really appreciate all of the listeners. Uh, and look, we're just coming out of October. This is November 1st for this show. October, yet again, back to back months where we have set a new record. Uh, back in May, we had our first kind of big record month, 
And then it went back down a little bit in June, uh, you know, when we kind of built some stuff back up, switched platforms a little bit. Obviously, July is July. I don't know that anybody has great numbers in July, but ours were fine. They were about what they were in June, a little bit better. And then they were a little bit better in August. And then they were a lot a bit better in September. And again, here in October, we're continuing to see that growth. So, you know, especially if you're a longtime listener, you're part of that. And we know you're part of that. So thank you very much. And we hope that you will uh, support us over on Patreon if you can. We would really appreciate it. So we can bring you this plus more. Okay, today's show, I had a wonderful chat with Trish Gunby. This is a primary race in the Missouri 2nd. It's a very interesting race to me. Uh, The general is going to be way more than interesting. It's going to be a national story. I can promise you that much. But make no mistake about it. The primary is very interesting. We had Ray Reed on already. Now we're having Trish on. Those are your two uh, real primary uh, components here for that race on the Democratic side. Ann Wagner, of course, is the Republican incumbent. And, and make no mistake about this race. When Trish Gunby announced her candidacy, the next day, the next day, Ann Wagner announced her reelection bid. Now, up to that point, everyone, certainly here on the show, we talked about it quite a bit in the Senate race stuff. There was a lot of assumption that, that Ann Wagner was going to run for that Senate seat, that huge open Republican primary. There hadn't been a, a female who had declared for it yet. And then all these chips start to move. Gunby announces, Wagner announces, Hartzler announces. It all kind of happens, boom, about the same time. And that's not a coincidence, not not at all. I had a really great chat with Trish, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, If you have not heard the episode with uh, Ray Reed, it's just a couple of weeks back. All of our episodes are available wherever you're listening to this. 100% of the episodes, except for those last calls, they're going to be member only. But everything else, it's right there. So you can go back, you can check them out side by side, especially if you're in the second district, or if you know somebody in the second district who's interested in politics, maybe they don't listen to this show. It's a great way to introduce them to what we do over here, especially if you're in Missouri. Say, hey, do you know about these, you know, th- this podcast over here? They're, they're talking to your people. And, uh, you know, it's a great way to to break that barrier. So uh, in talking politics this week, look, it, it's a, it was a big week. There's a lot going on. Uh, and I think in my opinion, you know, I think we crushed it. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, sign up for Patreon. Help us do more. Make the show even bigger. But uh, no, but seriously, we get into uh, a slew of issues this week, a ton of stuff on the docket. We've got a true false about paid family leave. Uh, we've got a yeah, no about Kim Reynolds up in Iowa. Uh, buy or sell, a little new segment, a little buy or sell on Kristen Cinema. Uh, we, we've got Texas book bans and snowflakes down there. We're going to dive into the Build Back Better plan and what's going on. Uh, talk about the Missouri 4th race in detail. There's a ton of, of stuff to know about that race. It's another very interesting congressional race here in Missouri. A uh, little climate change talk, little economy talk with some some inflation talk. Look, we're getting, we're going all over the place. We're, we're bringing you guys the goods. That's what we're doing here on the Heartland Pod. So please, please give us a little support and, and tell somebody about it. All right. Here is now this week's opening statement. We've all had that moment. You feel your body fight back. Your brain can't force it anymore. You just want to stop. You just want to shut down. Sometimes you have to just let it happen. That happened to me this past week. But other times you can overcome the feeling. You can do 
one more thing, five more minutes of exercise, 30 more minutes of work, 10 more doors to knock, 10 more phone calls to make. But what about in the broader sense? What about in the big political picture? Sometimes it seems impossible. It's a problem of scale. We see the issues like health care, paid family leave, immigration, infrastructure. They are huge. They don't have one special answer to fix it all. They are complex issues often built on systems that move at the speed of a cruise ship turning at sea. So how do we tackle these issues with the next step, with the next thing, with that next phone call, with that next door that you knock, with that next vote that you cast, the next race, the next candidate, the next election, the next cycle, until it's the next generation. The fight cannot stop. The fighter must persist. The fighter must press on. They must do what is next. Confucius said, it does not matter how slowly you go, so long as you do not stop. Some folks want to solve every problem tomorrow with one big vote. It's a great hope. It's a wonderful fantasy of what could be. But change, lasting change, is rarely fast and requires us to continue on, unfettered and undeterred, to never stop and to always continue on. No matter how slowly we may progress, it is that next step that can take us where we want to go. But we have to be willing to take the step, even if it's not exactly where we want to go. Now, here's my chat with Trish Gunby. Let's have a chat. All right, welcome back to Let's Have a Chat. I have with me one of the Democratic candidates in the Missouri 2nd. This is Trish Gunby. Trish is the current Missouri State Representative for the 99th District, having won that seat in a 2019 special election. Trish has been active in the area for many years as a volunteer and an advocate and is now running to take her experience to Congress. So, Trish, thanks for joining us on the Heartland Pod. How are you doing? Doing really well. Thanks for having me tonight. Excited Absolutely. to start. Excited to uh, talk about this race. Yeah. And am I getting, I'm going to ask this time very early because I, I, I used to be really good at this and I screwed up really bad with when I had Betty Frizzell on. Gunby, am I getting that right? Gunby, that is Gun correct. Gunby, all right. Gunby in Congress. Got it. So, okay. So I start here often. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your extended family, none of these people love you enough to talk you out of doing this? What is, is it, you know, what's going on there? The a funny thing about this line of work is, and, and I think we can certainly change the narrative around it, is anytime you tell somebody you're doing something like this, and the first thing they say is, are you crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's not a good thing. Yeah. And certainly not a good thing when it comes to our government. Yeah. We would, one would hope that uh, people would expect people to not be crazy in that line of work and, <laughs> and have ideas that are kind of off the rails, but that we are measured individuals who are thoughtful about our ideas and we care about the people we represent. So when I decided to, uh, to do this, actually the, the first go around back in 19, so a few people actually approached me to run. Mm -hmm. I had been doing some work at my church, 
social justice work and also some voting rights advocacy in and around the St. Louis area. And when our representative, our state rep resigned, people reached out and said, you know, you live in this district, you should run. So that's kind of how it all got started. And uh, I don't consider myself off the rails. I consider myself, you know, good at what I do. <laughs> well, and I agree with you. It would be great if that stigma could change because it is, you know, I ask it sort of tongue in cheek, but it is a real question that people ask, right? And it's 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 out there. But yeah, it would be wonderful to think that the people in Congress and running for Congress aren't running as these caricatures of, you know, what we think a politician from this region is supposed to be, the the Marjorie Taylor Green types, the Lauren Boebert types, where it's just like they've they've put it together in a lab to be this particular crazy thing as opposed to just you're Trish Gumby. Here's my experiences. Here's what I do. I'm a I'm a regular human being who would like to go and, if, and and share all of your ideas and my ideas at the next level. Wouldn't that be refreshing to have? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so here's a, a real question. I really like reading candidate issue pages um, and trying to figure out why they said certain things, which you know, if anybody is wondering, that's the sign that you might need to start a political podcast if you like to do that in your spare time anyway. <laughs> so, so, so on your issues page, there's one. Uh, I want to start with this. This is not like an issue section, but it's on the page. It says, if you elect me, you won't have to watch cable news to catch a glimpse of your congresswoman. So my question is, why is that at the top of your issues page? Because it's right there, right under that main picture. Well, first and foremost, I guess um, I believe that our current representative, our current current congresswoman, Ann Wagner, uh, spends more time on cable news than she does in the district, given that the congressional calendar places her in Washington, D.C. about 100 days a year. So that leaves at least 265 days a year that she should be here in the district One interacting with constituents. Yeah. And so... Um, First and foremost, you know, that's what I think you should be doing uh, for the majority of your time. So is that and I'm not taking it this way, but I assume it's not a pledge to not be on TV. You're just saying that no. that won't be the place where you're going to know me from. Right. And, and, you know, along those lines, for the last few years, people have uh, I want to use the word begged, pleaded, <laughs> uh, requested, you know, pick, pick a word have, yeah. to have town halls, to have their voices heard, right. to have an interchange with her around a lot of different issues. Yeah. And uh, that has not happened. She has had virtually no town halls in the last five or six years. When I won my state rep seat, the first thing I did before I was even sworn in was have a a town hall, and I've had seven. Sure. And people just want to be heard, and so uh, we don't feel like we're being heard. Well, you might miss something, you know, if you don't take the time to listen to somebody, and, and that's something that I've, I've noticed with trying to, you know, read the tea leaves with you is that you you have very clear uh, stances, and you have some clear ideas, and you you have like a leadership style. It seems like. But your leadership style seems to be based on more of a filter system and less of a my way or the highway system. And that inv that means you got to stop and you got to listen to folks and you got to say, how are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? Um, and not just assuming you know those answers to things. So does that does that mean that you'd rather have a town hall in your district than say go to the, I don't know, the border between Texas and Mexico and hold a press conference? <laughs> 
That would be a yes. Not to say that it's not good to have a sense of what's happening around our great nation. Sure. But uh, I know that there are people who would like to have conversations about that issue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. here in our district. And, you know, she's right across the street from where I live. And uh, there are opportunities. And so um, I think when we see elected officials on TV, more than we see them out amongst the community, uh, doing things during the pandemic, for instance, um, food drives, answering questions around unemployment, the virus, all of those things that could have been done, things that I did. I made calls to constituents. Uh, I had people calling me trying to reach her office and they couldn't get through. And, and so, (laughs) I mean, I've had, I was actually at a board of aldermen meeting in twin Oaks, which is one of the municipalities I serve. And, uh, an employee there gave me a note and said, I have a family member that needs help with immigration issues. Could you help me? I'm not getting responses, you know, back from her office. And I said, I can't handle federal issues. I'm sorry. I directed her to our two state, you know, our two U.S. senators. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, when that starts happening enough, you recognize that's just not a once kind of one, you know, one and done kind of thing. It's yeah, a pattern. Yeah. yeah. And, um, we just haven't been heard. And she hasn't really asked to even understand kind of where we stand on issues in a district that has been shifting. It, it's it's yeah. markedly wow. different than it was in 2016 when uh, the previous president ran. Uh, this go around in 2020, it's it's pretty much a 50-50 congressional district. You know, you need to to listen to both sides. And I, I pride myself on doing that. Even if we may not agree, I still need to hear people's views. So I find that really interesting because it, it's very obvious from your your bio information and from the, the background information that I've been able to, to glean on you that to say that you're involved in the community is probably a little bit of an undersell. Uh, you're out there on a pretty consistent basis doing a lot of different things, even before you were in office, you know, which is why somebody gets tapped to say, hey, we'd like you to run. And it strikes me as almost it would be funny if it wasn't such a tragedy that people are reaching out to you to reach their congresswoman. And now you're running for that particular <laughs> seat. It's 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 very apropos, I guess. <laughs> we're cutting out the middle person. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just make it easy. <laughs> elect me and we're, we're all good. So, and you'll know how to get hold of your congressperson. That's right. So your, your primary race though, is still something, you know, we, we've got a, a hurdle here to talk about. So uh, it's a very interesting race to me because uh, I, I, I haven't met you. I've met until now I've met Ray some. Um, and from a policy standpoint, you know, I, I don't know that I could floss between your, your policy stances. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty tight thing there. But the voters are going to have to make, I think, a pretty real choice because, you know, I talked to Ray about this when he was on the show, too. We've got a a young black man and a middle-aged white woman. And that's a, you know, there's pretty obvious, you know, just on its face, people are going to see a difference there. They're going to feel a difference there when you're knocking on their door. So your case, what is your case in a nutshell? You know, because if we're looking at it and we, and from a policy standpoint, we're going to get basically the same policy goals. Why are you the better choice to face Ann Wagner in the general? Well, I've, I've lived in the second congressional district for over 25 years. And, and you mentioned my involvement in the community. I, you know, active in Parkway schools, um, 
did neighborhood watch in my neighborhood, my subdivision for 10 years when we didn't have the internet and we didn't have ring doorbells and we had phone trees. If anybody knows what those are. Uh, So very active in, in those things and, and also active at my church, which allowed me to, uh, learn a lot about social justice issues that started affecting our region uh, back after um, Michael Brown was killed. Mm-hmm. And that's where things really took off for me. And so if you talk to people in and around my house district or, or out in the second congressional district, people are going to know me from things that I did through the school district, uh, through my advocacy groups, those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think that that's important you know, to, to have those relationships, to have connected people uh, to different issues, brought people together. And, and I think that's important. And uh, I have kids that are in their late 20s. And so I, I respect and admire anybody who chooses to run for office. It's a huge mm-hmm. undertaking. And that demographic, I'm very hopeful in that uh, I work well with young people who are passionate about the same issues I'm passionate about. I mean, I consider myself a lifelong learner and I could have just kind of done my own thing after Michael Brown was killed. And instead I chose to immerse myself in learning about racial justice. And after the 2016 election, I immersed myself in voting rights with a group called We Can. And we were uh, originally a plaintiff in a lawsuit against the Secretary of State that helped set aside the photo ID law. And so I want people to know who, who listen to this, it's great to be an elected official, I love this job, but you can do a lot as a citizen. And that's what I was doing. And obviously running for office just formalizes what you can do at the legislative level but I just feel like I have a better sense of people in the community and what's necessary and how we can win because I have won twice. I was supposed to lose in 19 by 10 points. I won by eight. That's an 18 point swing. I won again last year in a very difficult year for some Democrats with the Trump presidency you know, uh, out there. And I know how to win. And I know how to persuade voters, moderate Republicans, independents to vote for me. I've done it twice. And I'm going for the trifecta. (laughs) There you go. So there we go. So um, one of the issues on your website that you list is constitutionally endowed voting rights. You mentioned just now your work with voting rights. So what does that phrase mean to you, constitutionally endowed voting rights? Well, I think when, you know, the whole issue of voting, obviously our founding fathers, you know, didn't get it right early on and and modifications were made with amendments. That's always interesting when you hear somebody who's like, well, they gave us a democracy. It's like, not not really. Not not for (laughs) everybody. We're not super interested in you voting, to be very honest. (laughs) Right, right. So, you know, in the spirit of that and understanding that, you know, culturally we're at a different place in time, one would hope. I believe that voting is one of the few institutions in society that we have decided to not make easier to do. Yeah. yeah. We make it easier to do virtually everything else in our lives, Mm -hmm. to shop, 
you know, whatever, anything. Yeah. And you got a new enough car, you can take care of your registration online. Right. I mean, you can buy homes online. You can yeah. buy cars online. You don't, I yeah. mean, all of those things. And so uh, this is the one thing that everybody should be able to do, should have equal access to. We should have a day off to do it. Mm-hmm. And we should make it as easy as possible so that everybody can participate. And instead, we make it difficult for people to get their photo IDs at DMV offices, Monday through Friday, typically, no weekends, no evening hours. So that whole photo ID messaging and narrative makes no sense because you're making it hard for people to actually do those things. Mm -hmm. And then when they have to vote, uh, they're doing it in a certain time frame around their job. And so we try to open up absentee voting or mail-in voting or dropping, you know, those kinds of things. And those things are squashed. And they've been proven to work in other states that have been doing mail-in voting for years. And people keep crying voter fraud, voter fraud. The reality is, given the millions and billions of votes that we have across this country and the fact that all these elections have been certified, it's hardly ever happens. And, And yet that's what's being pushed out there is to suggest that that's an issue. And when you do that enough, people start questioning the system. I just went on a tour of the St. Louis County Election Board. And I will tell you, it's so impressive what they do in terms of voting. And that community, directors who who handle vote, you know, elections, that's a small group. Yeah, yeah. In terms of nationwide, our folks here in St. Louis County, they go around the world to monitor elections. It's a small group. People know what's happening around our country, around the world. And they are doing everything in their power to make these elections safe and secure. Last 2020's elections were the most safe and secure we've ever had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the fact that legislation is moving through to make it harder to vote is just, um, it's heartbreaking to me as an American. I can't believe that those are things that are being advanced. And I'm going to fight for that to not happen. It's funny you mentioned the the lawsuit and talking about the voting rights issue and especially that, that photo ID thing. So this was right after that happened, right after that legislation was passed. And then that case went through, um, I was going to vote at my local polling place and they had up, please have your photo ID ready, you know, placards, little, you know, floor signs. And I went in and I, you know, I said, I'm going to show you this because I want to do this quickly but you need to understand that this is illegal, what you're what you're doing. And I pulled up the statute on my phone and I showed them what it was. And I said, I don't have to show you this at all, you know, but I'm going to vote real quick. So I did that and then I took a picture of the placard and I emailed my local election authority and I said, I have, I have seen this. You are now notified of it. I'm going to come back in an hour and check on it. Thanks. And I came back, and sure enough, there's duct tape over it, edit, <laughs> edit, and now, and I've switched polling places since because I've moved since I'm in the same community. But I switched polling places. Same placard is at my new polling place, but it's got the same piece of duct tape over it <laughs> <laughs> on the photo part. It just says, "Please have ID ready." And so they got rid of the photo part completely, but they just put a piece of duct tape, which I thought was great that that that's what they did, and it's been like that for years now. <laughs> they right, just kind of left right. the sign, but. But yeah, it's just, it's such a simple thing. It's such a simple thing, but it makes such a big difference because that sign was 25 feet away from the table with the kid who's 
helping people check in, which was 20 feet away from the actual election authorities table. So you're 50, 60 feet from where somebody can actually give you an answer. And if you don't know and you walk in and you see that sign, you might go, oh, well, I guess I won't vote. And you turn around. And how many people did that before the sign got changed? And it's that's a real, real, real question. And even if it doesn't swing an election, it doesn't matter because those people should have a chance to be heard just like you or I are heard at those elections. Right. Absolutely. So another spot in your issue uh, page, issues page, that was hard to say, that I found uh, interesting. Uh, it says, as we build our campaign platform, we're meeting with stakeholders across the district, none more important than the constituents of the MO2. So and that, I'm just going to plead ignorance here. What's the difference between a stakeholder and a constituent in your district? Well, uh, stakeholders, I think, typically are you know, people who maybe more organized groups that you might interact with. Um, Obviously constituents are all, you know, everybody who lives here that you may come into contact with. I I identify stakeholders. Uh, For instance, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, The mosque is in my district Mm -hmm. and uh, all the constituents who might live in my district and attend that, you know, can vote for me. But within that district, there's a, a leadership group that I've become friendly with and they've uh, uh, been very welcoming to me and I've gotten to know them and issues that are important to them. In fact, I met with a member recently just to say, what's important to your group Mm -hmm. and, and your community? What do I need to know about? And he talked Mm -hmm. to me about, you know, the threat of Islamophobia Mm -hmm. and about um, wanting to have a special envoy through Homeland security that can help with immigration and so those are that's the detail that you might get through stakeholders that you wouldn't get it at a constituent's doorstep if you were just door knocking, for instance. Sure. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Okay. So this is a St. Louis area race. So where'd you go to high school? Parkway West Longhorns. <laughs> West is best. Now I'm, I'm from more of the country. I'm, I'm from Warrenton. Uh, out there on I-70. So all I know of Parkway West is that they're always really good at things. So <laughs> that's all I remember. <laughs> well, fun fact. <laughs> really fun good marching fact, band. Yes, yes. And fun fact, Representative Rasheen Aldridge, also yeah. a Parkway West alum. Big fan, big fan. He gave us our issue crats. Uh, we're a big fan of that slogan. Uh, yeah. Saw him relaunching his campaign too. So Yeah, I was there man. last night, actually. Um, but I will also want to shout out in my dis my house district. My kids went to Parkway South, so I'm Park- <laughs> Parkway South Patriots and Valley Park is also in the district. And I have a smidgen of Rockwood, so I don't want to leave anybody behind. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay, so you have a couple more questions here. Uh, you have a series of pledges on your website, and one of the pledges that stood out for me you it says i will compromise where i can and fight vigorously where i can't so my question off of that is what are the areas where you think you can compromise well i think you know what you're seeing right now in in dc around uh the infrastructure bill build back better I mean, I think there are elements, anytime you get into these big omnibus bills, mm-hmm. you know, individual bills on their own can be very meaty. Right. And and you throw a bunch of those into one big bill, mm-hmm. 
and you're just kind of setting yourself up for uh, the need for compromise. Yeah. And so I think that's an example. A lot of these omnibus bills uh, around certain issues where you're, you know, people are going to be in different places around that. Uh, the infrastructure piece, some of the, the, the social uh, programs with children and, you know, pre-K and family paid leave. You know, everybody has different opinions yeah. around that. And Which so, we'll see. We're recording this on the 27th, so we'll see if family paid leave is even in there by the time this comes out. It sounds right. like it may be stripped right. at this point. Right. Or, yeah, that. And I know, uh, you know, once your your kids are, you know, if you have a child that's born, then how how uh, how many weeks you could take off, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I think big bills like that, you're going to have to compromise uh, there may be elements within that. And when I talk about things that I'm not going to really waver on, it's around, it's issues that um, kind of provide an equal playing field for all of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- around the issue of race, around the issue of LGBTQ inclusion, uh, women, you know, those kinds of things that that I, I'm not going to bend on. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I just think we all you know, need to be treated, you know, equally and fairly. So equity issues, I guess, is where you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh, one last real question then, and then we have the favorite things. So let's say November, 2022, that's hard to say 2022, November, 2022, (laughs) the election is over. You're elected. You're the next representative from Missouri second district. When you get to Washington, what is the thing, the thing you know you get two years. That might be all you get. Who knows? What's the thing you're going to make sure in those two years happens? Well, I think the first thing I would do is I would have a town hall <laughs> before I got up there. <laughs> just want to put that out there. Uh, because I, I know I would have spoken to a lot of people along the way and gotten a lot of insight into things. And so I would definitely, you know, that would be something that um, I would want to at least get some feedback and sort of um, conversations with with constituents. But I would say probably the two big things that I would want to focus on uh, would be around healthcare. Uh, I'm an advocate of Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. I do not believe we should pay for healthcare with GoFundMe accounts. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a good way to um, provide for one's healthcare or when you're the richest nation in the world that you know, to lift that up as a form of healthcare. So yeah. that, that I'm, I'm passionate around healthcare and having access and quality healthcare for everybody. And then the other thing would be um, the Voting Rights Act, the yeah. Voting Rights Act, I should say. Um, again, that's something that um, to me, that's the cornerstone of our democracy. And I do believe that we need something at the federal level that will not allow uh, states to pass some of the legislation that they've been passing to make it more difficult for certain groups of people to vote. All right. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears here and let's get into the favorite things. All right. First question on the list is your favorite famous Missourian. I am going to go with, and this is something that just happened. Um, I'm going to go with Harriet Woods. Okay. Why? 
one of the first the first woman elected to statewide office mm -hmm. uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And somebody actually uh, contacted my campaign team and said that the last time they donated to a candidate was Harriet Woods. <laughs> and they were now going to donate to me mm -hmm. and hope that I had the same uh, the same uh, luck that she had uh, in running for office. In fact, when I was there for special set, or I guess it was uh, uh, just a couple of months ago, I was back there and you know, they have all the composites around the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And I intentionally went and looked for hers because you know that's really meaningful when uh, a voter or a, a supporter takes the time to call and share that with you. Sure. And so I, uh, I really thought about that. And, uh, and so I think that's somebody I would love to model myself after. That's a, that is a unique answer to the show at this point. And, uh, very much. Yeah. People who aren't familiar with Harriet Woods, she's a, that's a, that's a good Google <laughs> for Missouri <laughs> politics folks. Um, all right. Your favorite part about serving in the Missouri house. You've been, uh, you know, we haven't really talked about that office. Obviously you're running for, for a larger office, but you're still serving. So what's your favorite part of that? I just love helping my constituents. I mean, there's, there's something about getting a phone call or an email uh, when somebody says, I need help with unemployment. I can't visit my family member in the nursing home because of, you know, certain things that have happened. Um, I, get, I get unique calls and emails all the time. Mm -hmm. And I really like being able to return those calls. I have staff that help with that, but but uh, many times I called somebody the other day and they were, it was like, Trish, <laughs> Trish, because people, you know, we kind of focus on the Trish piece of my name. And so having those interactions and being able to help people, mm -hmm. I have a number of people, as I mentioned, 5050 district who have emailed me and said, you know what, I'm a Republican, but you've really helped me with this issue and I'm going to vote for you. And nice. a lot of what we do is nonpartisan. And that's why I circle back to Ann Wagner and, and her not being present. Uh, there are partisan issues when you're, you know, in D.C. or you're doing that legislative piece. Mm -hmm. But equally important is the uh, service to your constituents and being available and accessible. Yeah. And so that's what I like best about the job. All right. You said you've been in the district for at least 25 years. Your hidden gem of the second district, that thing. I'm out there. You're taking me around to see the different places. What's that one thing? It, can, it doesn't have to be food. It can be a view, you know, anything. Well, it's going to be food. <laughs> I, that's fine too. I like food. I'm a food guy. Well, and I, I don't think people know this about the Manchester area. And it's just something that has kind of happened in the last few years. We are a hot spot for different kinds of food. Mm -hmm. And we and, and restaurants and markets appear on lists for, for different food types. We have a market called Pan-Asia Supermarket, mm -hmm. lots of different Asian foods. And they have a, a, a food area in there where you can just order, you know, Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai food. Mm -hmm. It's made a lot of top lists. There's another taqueria called El Toluco. Great street tacos. Speaking my language, Trish. Yeah, guacamole. <laughs> and then literally these are all within like a mile of each other. Then you drive down the down Manchester Road and there's Mid East Market 
that has wonderful gyros. Mm. And so literally within less than a mile, all these are kind of surrounded. So it's kind of this international food fest. And if you don't want to go that international route, I would highly recommend Young's in Valley Park for excellent ice cream, shakes, burgers, fried chicken, and pies. <laughs> so if you want to go the American route. But that, I, I kind of sustain myself on all those different places. Sure. And I'm looking forward, actually, to once we know the boundaries to the district uh, early next year, I want to explore and find those kind of hidden food gems. Because food is one of those things... You sit down, you break bread, sure. you get to know people. Super I mean, connected. that's how you yeah. kind of, you uh, lower the walls. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Trish Gumby, I, I do love the the logo, the Trish logo with the Missouri eye. I think it's, it's, it's stellar. Tell them where to find you. Out in the district. No, uh, you can, <laughs> <laughs> you can find, you can find me at trishgumby.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Trish for Mo. Uh, just Google my name. You'll find out all the stuff I was doing before I started doing this and all the stuff I'm doing now. And I'll leave you with this. Uh, give them hell, Trish. <laughs> you know what? We already are. Three months in, 12 months to go, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, welcome back to Talking Politics. I am joined as usual by Rachel Parker and Sean Diller. We have a full slate of stuff to get into. We will try to pay attention to our timer to keep it moving and not make this a two-hour show. So hopefully we will do a good job of that. Uh, had a nice uh, weekend here, very fall weekend. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows it was a very basic fall-type weekend for me. A lot of flannel, a little chilly uh, happened some some fall festival type stuff, a little trick or treating with the kids. Uh, wasn't feeling so great uh, earlier uh, Thursday into Friday, but think I'm bouncing back. So you can maybe hear a little bit in my voice tonight. But got some chamomile tea, some celestial seasonings to 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 ease that a little bit and help me get through this. So, Rachel Parker, how you doing? And what are you sipping on? I'm doing well, thank you. I'll just say now that I'm sipping on water because uh, I decided that one of the ways that I was going to get through this weekend uh, being a woman who's still very much in lockdown was I was going to treat this weekend. Like I was on vacation, even though I'm not going anywhere. So uh, I did that. I went for lots of walks because the weather was pretty nice and I had lots of drinks (laughs) before noon. It's vacation. Yeah. I didn't drink before noon, but I definitely drank early. And I was like, if it absolutely doesn't have to be done today, it is not going to be done today. So yeah. no laundry was done, no extra work was done, and I believe I mentioned this already. Hydrating with water right now. So that is vacation, yeah. If you got to come back and do a bunch of laundry, then it's the same as vacation. So exactly. See, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be way behind in emails tomorrow, and you know it's going to be awesome. That's the way it goes. Sean Diller, how you doing? What you sipping on, man? Uh, I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for asking. Uh, had a, also a good uh, fall weekend. Uh, my three year old is just so adorable. She was Moana and oh, we took yeah. her trick or treating in our neighborhood. Yeah. Our neighborhood's packed with kids. So we like hit seven houses within 50 yards of our house. And, uh, and you know, we were done. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Moana. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Very no, fun. she was thrilled. Yeah. I had a little flower in her hair. And um, yeah. So all the good stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And I got some chamomile 
as well some mm. honey vanilla chamomile oh. from celestial seasonings a little so. one up okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had a very uh committed spider-man uh and a uh claire in her chair was a little mini mouse and she got lots of lots of looks for that and then our tiniest one her first halloween she was one of the ball players she was a rockford peach it was a very popular thing this year, I think. Oh, that's great. Yeah, she's a little, little Rockford peach. So, All right, our first topic is true or false. True or false. And the question is this. Cutting paid family leave will cost Dems the support of their own voters in 2022. Rachel Parker, let's start with you. I was going to say by law, this is Sean. I want Sean to go first. This is really something that's very near and dear to his heart. This is one of his issues. <laughs> and he's going to start us off. Not because I'm a chicken shit, because like, that's just respect versus respect to you. So Sean, you go. <laughs> well, thanks. No, I mean, yeah, I am always pushing this as an issue that Republicans support, <laughs> that swing voters support. It's yeah. so dumb for any party to just not go ahead and do it because people mm-hmm. will love them for it. But I mean, when I think about polls and electoral prospects, um, sorry, this is supposed to be fast. I'm going to say, you know, false. I don't think it'll harm the Democrats any more than kind of generally, you know, caving to big special interests, you know, kind yeah, of like they've been yeah. doing for decades. But. Really quick before I pivot over to Rachel, do you think it costs uh, the the support of the bipartisan infrastructure plan, uh, and I say that because uh, Representative Talib, uh, I am not going to sell out my district for a bill that was written by the fossil fuel industry and championed by two damn senators who bow down to big pharma and corporate polluters. Direct quote. Do you think that changes anything? Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think Rashida Tlaib would probably be one of the three votes in Nancy Pelosi's three-vote margin that right. she's kind of, and I think that might be what she's telegraphing. And yep. uh, But she's a Michigan congresswoman, so I think she probably does vote against this bill the way it is, and I think it still passes. Rachel, true, false? Oh, false. Uh, voters are not... First of all, let's let's never forget that the most important voters in the country right now are suburban white women. And, um, you know, affluent white women uh, still, I think, favor this idea that you're supposed to work for. I don't know what the hell they're thinking. Anyway, no, I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to I think it would have helped tremendously. I think it would have it would have been a boon to uh, the working class. And so I think it would have been a wonderful thing for them to go out and uh, and brag about. But um no, I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to hurt them like it was Sean. I don't think it's going to hurt them any more or any less than anything else would have. I think it could hurt on some margins on some races where maybe and we'll talk uh, quite a bit about it in the future. But the the Missouri second, you know, I just had uh, Trish Gunby on was the chat this week. And I think that's the kind of race where the enthusiasm gap is going to matter. And so, you know, if people aren't excited, so I'll say true, but. I don't think it's a huge difference, but I think it could in, impact it a little bit. All right, moving on uh, to the yeah, no topic. Yeah, no. Yeah. All right, and this one is, <laughs> and uh, I actually switched this out pretty much at the last minute. Uh, we had something about Eric Schmidt, because yeah, that's always ripe for this. But uh, instead, we have Iowa. Iowa's governor, Kim Reynolds, uh, turned down $95 million in funding for COVID relief, but just signed a bill 
to give unemployment benefits to people who lose their job for refusing to get the COVID vaccination. This is real. This is a real thing that actually happened in Iowa. So uh, I don't care who starts this one. Well, what do you got? I'll, I'll jump in because it reflects the worst of what's going on in today's politics, that everything is political, but also it represents, I think, something that, you know, just the nihilistic, craven, hardcore righties are going to just really revel in because they're really threading the needle on owning the libs, I think, is probably why she was so <laughs> excited to do it. Because the way unemployment works, as a lot of business owners probably know, is you get dinged when your employees file unemployment. Yeah. <laughs> so she's But you made don't it... get dinged if they leave for cause or on their <laughs> right. own volition. Yeah. So, I mean, it's dumb. She's trying to dunk on, I don't know, whoever. Small business yeah. owners <laughs> who yeah, didn't right. vote for her. I don't think she knows who she's dunking on anymore either. Yeah, I think so she's lost the plot. Yeah. Trying to dunk on people all the time. Yeah. And and like for COVID too, it's just like, come on. Like, what? Like I get when it was the ACA and this is just so, I mean, let's keep in mind that Kim Reynolds told people with a straight face, she repeated the um, uh, Governor DeSantis line and whoever the hell else said that like, COVID came from, from the Southern border of the United States. Like somehow right. the reason that like Delta, excuse me, the Delta variant came from yeah. like migrants. Uh, and I was like, really Venezuela. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I got nothing else to say. That was what Sean yeah. said was, was super <laughs> on the money, craven, awful, shitty, terrible, uh, bereft of morals. Uh, that's, that's your Republican party for you. These days kids like good job. Good job, Iowa. Keep it's, it up. It's crazy. Cause there's like, it doesn't have, to, it's such a ridiculous thing to have done. Like the nine, $95 million in funding that was on the table, that could have been used to help folks out like that that need help or whatever. Okay, great. That that could be there. But to then punish, you know, if you've got – let's say you run – I don't know. Um, let's say a dispensary. Let's say you're running a medical dispensary for marijuana. And wouldn't you want the people there to be healthy enough to deal with that because it's like, you know, pseudo-pharmaceutical or in even a pharmacy for that matter. Right. Dentist office. want those people to be, yeah, dentist right office. Right by exactly. your mouth. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, small businesses in general. And that's who this is really going to impact and and hurt the most. So it just really doesn't – it's just really stupid because um, it really does – the small businesses are really going to feel the impact of this by far the most. And it's just – it doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, it just doesn't make sense. So, all right, next one. Uh, we have a, a new segment. Uh, hopefully, we'll. I think. I think this one will stick. Um, this is a buy or sell segment. And I don't have any music for this yet, so jump right into it. Uh, buy or sell. Kristen Cinema, Senator Kristen Cinema. She's just misunderstood, and she's just outsmarting all of us. There was this big think piece uh, Politico had out about you know how she's playing this big long game and that's really what it's all about and she's just sort of snowing all of us over what do you what do you guys think you buy that or are you, are you selling that uh, well I'll, I'll start um i uh I, it's been a long time since i lived in arizona but i've mentioned this before a couple times that arizona was very conservative when i lived there yeah um and the, the first of all i don't i don't find her to be so remarkable. I, I don't find that what she's doing is, I mean, it's very visible because she's 
you know, kind of on, on her own limb right now, um, doing this little dance she's doing, but she's representing a proud tradition of Senate obstructionists and flip floppers. And, you know, like she's, she's certainly filling shoes that look very familiar. If you've ever spent any time following the, 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 the political, rubric of any senator um she certainly is kind of old school in that way uh the 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 conclusion of so that she has you know that she's mercurial and that she can change her that she's a political operator that she can change her positions on a dime depending upon who's in front of her and that she kind of knows how to read the tea leaves and you know that to me is just sort of what the most sort of self-serving politicians have always done. Right. Um, right. She's just the one we're talking about right now. I disagree with the conclusion of that of some people draw in the political article, which is that this is going to somehow help her. I don't, I don't think that it's going to win her any favors with anybody in Arizona. I don't know who she thinks she's like right now. Arizona is two parties. It's the party of Senator Kelly. Yeah. And the people that elected Joe Biden. Let's remember that Joe Biden won Arizona. It's kind of a big deal. And then it's the state of the people that tried to oppose the election results. So I don't know who she thinks that she's doing this dance for right now. Anyway, I don't, I don't see an end game for her except maybe getting primary. The the article kind of says that she maybe can do this thing as an independent eventually, which I think is Arizona is not a state that's going to elect an independent Senator. I don't care what you tell me. It hasn't changed that much. That's not going to happen. Um, She could lose her primary. And I think somebody more progressive than her could easily win uh, in, uh, when she's up in former years, I think that's super possible. What do you think, Sean? I don't know. I mean, what I know about the Arizona democratic party is very little, but I think that Kirsten Cinema basically did a lot of the building at the County level when she ran the first time. So I'm with Rachel. I mean, I don't, I don't understand what she's doing at all. I wish that, you know, some of the people in the Biden white house would leak more about what they think about her. Right. <laughs> um, that would, that would be helpful, but yeah, I mean, it's like, why can't she just be more like Mark Kelly is I'm sure what a lot of Arizona Democrats. And that's, I mean, that's one of the yeah. reasons that I'm always so like kind of shocked when I see coverage about her is and people are like, well, this is what Arizona voters look like. No, they don't like the other person who really does have skin in this game. Like he's going to have to face reelection very soon because he won in a special election, right? Like he's really, really, really in the thick of it. And he voted for the, he would have voted for the $3.5 trillion uh, uh, bill. So the idea that she somehow like has her finger on the pulse of like a real America, that's nonsense. Yeah. Um, She's John McCain. Or go ahead. Whatever. (laughs) I do think in the end, it'll help her electoral prospects in Arizona in future Senate races, like making her more secure. And, you know, maybe we do disagree on that, Rachel, but um, I think more Republicans will vote for her because she's making it difficult for Democrats specifically. I heard that her, her approval rating amongst conservatives in Arizona is like below 40%. Like, again, like, I don't think that's true. Like, I mean, if it's above 12%, then, you know, she's (laughs) never going to have to pretty good. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's well, move on. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'll just say like, I think she can be primary. That's all. I think that could happen. Sure. And, and that'll, the, the, the cap here is John McCain was primaried a lot, even before Trump. So it'll be an interesting thing to see, no doubt. All right. Uh, next topic. Uh, it's snowing in Texas. Uh, figuratively, the Texas GOP, uh, they have a member out there who, and this is, again, this is one of those, like, this is a real thing. Uh, this is not like somebody said this on the internet and we're running with it. 
This is a, uh, this is an NBC News uh, story. Representative Kraus would like to get rid of about 850, 850 books in Texas because, well, they just they could cause students guilt or anguish or other forms of psychological distress because of their race or sex or convey that a student by virtue of their race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. So they the snowflakes are in full force in Texas, and they're very offended by these books and what they could possibly, if somebody would happen to pick it up and read it, make them uh, think. And so I'll pose it this way with a serious question. I noticed that nowhere in this article or mentioned by the representative was the Bible. And so I have to wonder if he's read it because there are huge portions of that book that, I mean, if you want to talk about things that could make a kid feel uncomfortable. Horse. If they horse, read it. So many horrors in the Bible. So I many horrors. There's that part where God destroys an entire city because of sodomy and the angels, you know, try to rape this guy's daughter. I mean, it's pretty brutal at times. So calculus is also very discomforting yeah, for me. Calculus gave me a lot of discomfort, <laughs> a lot of anxiety. It made me feel, you know, whether it was consciously or subconsciously. Um, <laughs> I don't Physics know, but I know it hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started on the dances. <laughs> uh, yeah. Seriously, though, what is what is this? This is listen, this is the good old this is America of my youth. Like, I feel like I hear the welcome back Carter theme in my in my head. Like, let's get back to the Republican Party that was afraid of like books that had like, you know, moral ambiguity and maybe criticize the establishment and let's burn them. Let's do that. That then it'll be like 1975 or 1976 or 1978 or 1981 or 1980. Like, there's always someone in some school district that's like, we're not going to let them read of mice and men. You're like, okay, sure. Cause we're, yeah. All right. It's so funny now too, because you're like, do you have any idea what happens on the internet? Are you serious? Have you seen <laughs> right. the video games? Are you, there's more violent, uh, like games of sessions of Minecraft than like whatever. I don't have anything else to say. This is good old America though. It's classic. Right. Classic. There's- a lot more gay stuff on those kids' phones than is ever going to be in the library, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it is just great. And, like, I hate the whole – I really, really, really don't like it when people pull out the Nazi thing regardless of what side they're pulling it out on. But when we're talking about book burning, like, it's hard to not go there. Like, but They've been doing it yeah. for so long. They've been doing yeah. it for such a long time that it almost at this point just feels like why don't you guys just make it like a statewide holiday in like Mississippi and Alabama and Texas and like South and North Carolina that y'all have like a good old book burner and you get out like (laughs) the same old, like we've been burning this one since 1915. We're not going to stop until they stop teaching this filth in elementary schools. And then they'll burn, you know, whatever. Like some of the funniest ones on his list in the article is the cider house rules V for vendetta and the handmaid's tale. Which are all just available to watch now on the on the kids' phones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can watch all of them at any point in time. And also, like, who's teaching those? Like, what? Right. Like, like, there's really there's nothing newer you could like teach a child about the world than well, like books yeah. that all came out when I was a teenager. Like, maybe somebody's teaching The Handmaid's Tale still. I know that you know, especially right now. I could I can imagine that. As yeah, a there's an yeah. I mean, teacher. I read that I read that in college. Sure, okay. 
Fair and enough. Something, and there's something to tie it to. Now there's a media to tie it to. So maybe there's, you know, there's VC. But, like, nobody's teaching V for Vendetta. Nobody's teaching the cider. These are just books that are generally available. No different than when I was in high school, I checked out The Stand. And you, and you, know, why, and you know why awesome. they can't. And you know why they can't read the Cider House rules, right? Because it's about an abortionist. That's why they can't teach that book. Yeah. Man, I've been to some libraries in Texas and lots of rural places just to pop in and see what the books are and see how much it costs to rent a room. And uh, the the shelves are also packed with pretty insane books about abortion. (laughs) Right. Really discomforting. But one thing that I was going to say, I'll be really quick, is that I think this does reflect some kind of shift in Republican messaging bills in that they've gotten away from talking about race really explicitly as something that they're afraid of or worried about or trying to affect. And these new rules, you know, it makes me want to paraphrase the good Justice Roberts, the best way to stop freaking out about race is to stop freaking out about race. (laughs) And, you know, enough already. Well, that'll take us to the next one, which has absolutely no segue. The Build Back Better plan. Final version appears to be here, maybe. Is it enough? I don't know. Will it matter? Uh, Is it going to pass? Lots of questions going around. Uh, No paid family leave. So that's that's gone. Uh, the Medicaid expansion for dental and vision coverage, gone. Uh, this special billionaire tax thing that got floated around on the unrealized capital gains, which what are such a that stupid, was a, that was stupid, always like a that was always theater. Let, let's face it, that was always right. Just and theatrics, it, and it created this theatrics. insane debate on Twitter for folks. It's like, well, we got to tax billionaires. You can't be against us. You got to ta- want to tax billionaires. It's like, yeah, I'm all for taxing billionaires, folks. Here's the problem with unrealized capital gains. That ain't income. The 16th Amendment allows us the federal government to tax income. Unrealized capital gains doesn't count. It's not income yet. Well, they were going to, there was a time where it was defined as income. So they were going to go back to that statute sure. that says that it's, that's what they were going to do. And of and course, it, everybody was like, no, you're not. That's right. not going they to They can happen. try to do that, which is great. The real change you want made is what you want is to change the regulatory scheme that allows people to take their unrealized income, turn it into a low interest loan, and then use that low interest loan to invest into the market and turn that into high interest returns that they use to service the loan while they become exponentially more rich by doing that with their money. If you change that little scheme, that little regulatory scheme, and make you tax that a little bit differently, or you make that harder to do, that's going to shut down a lot of the problem that this unrealized capital gains thing even is getting at. Because like, like the, the, these yachts aren't realizing that much value. The homes, yes, are going up in value. My home did the same thing this last year. It was crazy. But why, you know, the idea that it's just going to stop at a certain level. They would they would probably keep the carve out that they do now for housing for your primary right. residents, not counting as a capital gain. So they, again, like they used to actually say that capital gains, certain a certain level of gains was actual. It is right. income. Come on, for Christ's right. sake, it's income. And they were going to reclassify it as income. And uh, of course, everyone said, no, you're, you're not going to do it because Jamie Diamond made two phone calls and it was all over. <laughs> um, that was it. Like the guy literally was like, get so-and-so on the phone. Who's that? Get him on the phone. No. And that was it. It was all over after that. Um, John, is this anything that's coming up in discussions you're having? The tax stuff? Yeah. I mean, 
Not really. It's, um, you know, I think a lot of people who are swing voters hear that Biden's not going to raise their taxes and they just, you know, half of them believe it and half of them just think they they know, did can't anyway. trust that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, people don't really know what's in the bills. No. So it's not really. Well, can yeah. you give us a little a little refresher here? Because I do think it's been changing fast enough that it'd be nice to sort of just go through this and lay out, okay, what's really happening here in this $1.75 trillion bill that appears to be on its way to passing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to also, you know, totally ding it when I said that, you know, Democrats are caving to special interests on this bill, because what it is, is, you know, this 1.75 trillion will bring it up to about 5 trillion that we've spent altogether. And it is a huge statement about what Democrats believe when it comes to dem- uh, the government helping people in a crisis and in general to to lift themselves up. And so what's in the bill is, you know, you said that paid leave is out. That's true. There still is an expanded child tax credit. Right. So that's that $300 per month per child payment that a lot of parents have been getting in their bank accounts. Big deal. Um, yeah. So that's going to keep going. Universal pre-K nationwide. This is just amazing. I mean, this is going to have a huge impact. It's going to yeah, be that's, that's fuck. That's massive. Like I, th- I like my heart almost broke with joy when I read that. I was so fucking happy. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I think this was the trade-off with trade school and community college. You know that got dropped, but universal pre-K for more than six million three and four-year-olds in this country is going to be awesome. There's half a trillion dollars of the 1.75 in climate investments. And so that's enhancement of existing home energy and efficiency tax credits that people can claim and have been able to claim before. So those have been expanded. There are other electrification focused rebates, um, electric vehicle tax credits, and they're uh, you know yeah. moving on healthcare, $130 billion to expand Medicaid and reduce mm-hmm. premiums mm-hmm. for people on the, on the marketplace, the Affordable Care Act. And 150 billion for affordable housing. You know that's supposed to pay for the construction and rehab of more than a fi- one million affordable homes across yeah. the U.S. So, yeah, the the Medicaid thing is we've talked about this many times on this show, Rachel. You've talked about the percentage factor um, that it appears to be that that's what this is aimed at is keeping us in that zone where if there was the public option, if we were doing it that way, this is what it would look like. This is what it would feel like. This is what it would cost. Well, so during the debates, uh, during the presidential debates, uh, both um, uh, Gillibrand and Klobuchar were kind of like, you guys, we can totally get to a Medicare for all alternative through the ACA. Trust us, please. And there there are so many, which is one of the reasons the Republicans hate it so much is because they know that, too. So Mm -hmm. we're you know, it's it's not as it's not as sexy to say, like, ooh, we're all going to buy health insurance through this very subsidized exchange, basically, which is not far off of what Medicare is. Kind right. of really. Right. Right. So if you, idea. yeah. So if you keep saying more people are eligible for Medicaid and you keep expanding the definition of what Medicaid is, you can get to Medicare for all very, right. very, and, very. And this money on the premiums for people who are on me, the you mean me, you mean Rachel yeah. Parker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that that's some real cash. Like the average drop in premiums is $600 per year for the 9 million ACA enrollees. Yeah. 
Uh, I've saved uh, since Biden took office. I'll just conf- I'll, I'll be very transparent that since the uh, American Recovery Act, I've saved I've saved close to over six hundred already. Yeah. In premiums, I think this is for myself. <laughs> that's how expensive health insurance is. Anyway. And that's it, like, these aren't huge numbers. It's not like, oh God, that changed your life I'll, and you got to quit no, your job. No, but I got to do a, a lot. I got to pay some stuff. Off. It was great. I was, right. thank you, sir. Yeah. It was well, awesome. For, if you're talking about a family that like, you know, they've got a kid that needs a computer. There it is. You know, like it, it's a, it's not a huge thing, but it's there and it matters. Um, the childcare cost limit, I think, is a huge deal. The seven percent cap right. on massive, massive <clears throat> on childcare costs. Um, we we've, you know, we've done that. We've played that game. We had two kids uh, at the same time in full time daycare for a while, and look, I, it was I had two house payments. Right, <laughs> it's basically what it was like to have two kids in full time daycare, and we live in a pretty inexpensive area, and it still costs that much money. Um, you know, now we're paying for one for private and we, ha- we've got some coverage for our, our travel special needs, which is amazing. And it makes life way easier. Um, but we've got the new one and she's, you know, full freight. So we're, you know, we pay for her separately. Um, and it's fine. We can, we can afford it. It's not a huge deal, but six years ago when we started doing it, it was a huge, huge, huge pinch for us to do daycare. It was a big deal, a really big deal. When you, you're you're making me think back to the first question about will dropping paid family leave hurt Biden and Democrats with their own voters in the midterms. The more we talk about it, if they can get this passed, it will, I think, be enough <laughs> that um, right. you know the Democratic yeah. voters, Biden voters, people who supported the Dems in the last presidential election. It's all of it, all of it's very easy to say. That's the thing that's like yeah. so. Yes, it is. It's one of the reasons it really hurt. One of the things that really hurt uh, Obama. Um, Nobody understood with, the ACA. With, no, Nobody you couldn't explain it to anybody. It, it was very complicated. It. And they were, ter- you could, I could, I could figure Sorry. out how to sell it. I was like, just say this, but they, they didn't know any gig people. They should have called us gig workers. We would have spelled it all <laughs> out for everybody. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, like I, I, I hate these suspenseful moments, but like I read the, I think, I think you're going to throw it in the show notes, but the statement from the progressive caucus uh, that they released today was basically like, okay, everybody needs to calm down. Like right. we just haven't read the thing yet. We need to see what's in it before we just say, we're going to pass it. Everyone yeah. take a breath. We're all, all right. working very hard. We wouldn't even be having this conversation if it weren't for us. Right. So everyone take a lap, go have a drink, go take us. That's basically what their, exactly. that's basically what their statement says. It's like, right. uh, we we're here because of us. Thank you very much. We're going to read the language of the bill and we'll get back to you. We got yeah. Joe Thank on a plane. Much. With something yeah. in his pocket, and yeah. we're all gonna, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna check. Yeah. It. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it will be interesting to see because I, I agree with you that it's going to be sellable. I think it is going to be sound biteable. It's going to be very. It's going to really know, help people. This is like stuff yeah. that's really gonna. Well, and real people doing commercials, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, oh yeah. Here's how it changed my life. It's going to be. It's going to have real impacts. People are going to feel it. So. And when we'll, it comes to incumbents who might be vulnerable. You know, I think Democrats will see this as, you know, delivery on the promise. Totally. Because, you know, right. we're pushing it. Uh, we're seeing and you mean, it push and you mean, you mean Warnock and Kelly? Obviously, you mean those guys. Right. You mean those well, guys that can. You know, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, 
but yeah, well, I mean, this, it, this it'll be interesting been... too because it, it is the kind of thing that can make folks that aren't, you know, if you're talking about those swing voter folks, to say, okay, they really did do the things. You like, was it? Yeah, of the perfect version. No, but they, I mean, they're doing the things they said they were going to do. And so, if I voted for them to do these things, and they're doing these things, then maybe I'll right. consider that again. They do you guys all the things, but they're not doing different things you know they are doing the things they said they were going to do and it's this insanely slim majority or yeah insanely slim you know three votes right it helps them make that case of give us more give us more look what we can do with with just enough well imagine if we had more well all right let's move on to a race where that maybe that could help um i don't think it's going to but the missouri fourth uh, is a congressional seat that's we, going to be. I just want to suggest that the Missouri Fourth could almost be its own. Yeah, no, right now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, uh, no, uh, like. <laughs> so there are um, quite a few folks who are starting to line up to run for this uh, seat on the Republican side. There are some on the Democratic side as well. Uh, the Dems that are known at this point, JD Leathers, uh, looks like he's been a farmer, worked in several government capacities. Um, and then Anthony Osborne, who I do not know who this person is and cannot find anything about them. I've tried diligently to do that. Uh, J.D. Leathers does appear to have some type of presence and uh, has been active here and there. So uh, they are there. There could be more. I don't know. Um, there doesn't, there's nobody listed, at least, at least at this point, other than them. On the Republican side, most recently, the announcement of Mark Alford, who folks on the east side of Missouri or not in Missouri probably don't know who he is. Folks on the west side know him as a guy on the local Fox station, and uh, he's an interesting, uh, interesting person to be running. Uh, Kalina Bruce, who's a, a, a cattle farmer uh, and a CPA, who calls herself an outsider, even though she's connected to Trump. Um, so that's sort of an interesting thing that you could be connected to the former president of being an outsider. Taylor Burks, uh, who is a uh, lieutenant commander in U.S. Navy Reserve, and this is all coming from a Missouri Times piece who uh, notably uh, typically does a pretty good job with this stuff, but will leave people off of their articles if they don't like them. So and if they're missing somebody, it could be because of that. Uh, I'm not making a direct accusation. I'm just saying that could be the case. Uh, Burks is uh, – he was a Boone County clerk. He was appointed by Greitens, uh, first and only, I think, Republican to serve in that position. He's not there anymore. Uh, and then Sarah Walsh, who is a state representative in Missouri and, of course, uh, probably known to most uh, recently as the representative who very outspoken against uh, the vaccine. Her husband uh, contracted COVID and did pass away. And I don't want to make light of that. that that's a, a tragic thing that happened in their world. But that is why you probably have heard of her recently. Uh, some folks who are not on the list is um, Caleb Rowden from Columbia and Denny Hoskins from Warrensburg, both people who I would not be shocked to see on this list. Uh, Sean, let's start with you. You have uh, assisted in running a campaign in the fourth. You know this district pretty well. I have lived in this district. Uh, what What's your thoughts here? Um, it's really a hard race for Democrats in any scenario. The fact that it's not ever more competitive just really does bum me out. I was born in Columbia. I lived in Harrisonville till I was in eighth grade. I saw that. Was it Mike Alford or Mark Alford? Mark. Yeah. Mark. I had never heard of the guy, but that photo, I am almost 100% certain that is in the square in Harrisonville where he's taken that photograph. And um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's good people who have been really let down by by their congresswoman, Vicky Hartzler. And, you know, yeah. I think Sarah Walsh would be awful. I think, uh, you know, even the ones that who don't obviously seem like they would be awful. There's like, I just don't know what they're bringing or fighting for. I think it's going to be kind of a culture war, fundamentalist sort of district, yeah. unless something changes. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, we saw, you know, you worked on the Hoganson campaign. Uh, and then, of course, we closely watched with uh, Lindsey Simmons campaign and, you know, had her on the show. And you look at the numbers, you know, in the, the 18 and the 20 outcomes, and they're different, but they're not that different. Uh, it's a pretty static area, it seems like. You know, we don't know what the map's going to look like, but it's hard for me to imagine that it's going to become a better uh, district for Democrats in the. Yeah. I mean, if Democrats are ever going to win statewide again, they really do, you know, thinking back at nuts and bolts about that district, they got to do better in Cass County. They got to do better in Boone County. Yeah. Which should be easier than it is, but. Right. And I was on a victorious Boone County race in 20. 18, which was awesome. Uh, 2020, excuse me. Um, and so it's moving in the right direction, but, um, yeah, it's like the Democrats have a ton of work to do and the hopelessness is not helping. So, yeah, for sure. Rachel, any thoughts on this, uh, Missouri fourth race, how it's shaping up? I have a question. So is, is Vicki Hartzler going to do this thing where if she loses the Senate primary, she's going to be able to decide that she still can run for the house. Or is that one of those things where she's definitely not going to run for the fourth? I I don't, well, she won't have time to run because the filing deadlines will have passed. So, okay. Well, um, so the the one positive thing, the one pod, that's the one positive thing I can say about this. The one positive thing I can say is that at least if Vicki Hartzler I mean, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about that Senate primary on our show. Um, they're all horrible. Uh, it's hard to imagine anyone worse than Vicki Hartzler in the Senate, except for anybody else who's running on the Republican side right now. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to just like have a horse in that race. But uh, if if she loses the Senate primary at least vicky hartzler won't be in dc anymore is the best thing i can say right now oh she'll be in dc especially if she loses yeah Uh, she's making more money (laughs) oh there you go touche touche working for some like conservative christian think tank or whatever oh no corn growers association Uh, there you go there you go sure (laughs) but i was reading big ag baby i was gonna say i was reading up on on sarah walsh and um that's that's not something for the faint of heart to do she's uh She's a terrorist, that woman. She's awful. I don't know. I don't know if I should feel sorry for her or if I should have very other thoughts about her. She seems to be like the, she's kind of the Vicki Hartzler stand-in, right? I mean, she's the heir apparent, yes. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. She, uh, the whole thing with her, remember we talked about her, her daddy husband and we were all like, what's going on? Like her husband, she's younger than me and her husband's like my dad's age. It's all very strange. I don't know. Well, it'll be an, it'll be an interesting race as it shapes up. That is for sure. Uh, let's move on to climate change. The the crisis continues. Day number I don't know. I've lost track of any type of counting on this kind of thing. Um, so my question on it: there was a good piece in the Guardian about the basically the pace of emissions is it's got to be we've got to do something um, to keep this one point five Celsius number 
as the cap. It looks like at the G20 they're agreeing to that 1.5 number, so that may be as positive. So the question that I am posing on it is, uh, when does this issue become so unavoidable that its actual existence is not a political litmus test, right? The idea of climate change itself is no longer a political football. It's the solutions that are we are now arguing over. And, and are we there? I'll, I'll let Sean go first because I have, I have many things to say, but I'm really, no, I'm really curious to hear what Sean thinks, honestly. Yeah, I mean, there are Republican elected officials who have said that climate change is real. I think about Mike Pence in his debate with, Kamala Harris. And I think he said climate change is real. And he said, moreover, that the Republican Party should be to uh, the Republican policy on climate should be to follow the science. I think it was totally disingenuous. I think he was talking about following bunk science that, you know, his (laughs) donors probably, you know, will be will be creating for us. But when I think I was looking at these, you know, these folks who might be running in the in the fourth or who are and this Kalina Bruce, you know, she looks younger. Taylor Burks, he looks younger. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at some point, you know, the the folks who are under 30 really do see it as like, we're going to have to live with the effects. And so we are really urgently wanting to start dealing with it right away. Right. Um, I'm 36. I think of my daughter, uh, you know, even though I hope to still be alive in like, you know, 2050, 2060. But I think, un, you know, younger than me, they know that it's going to be their deal. And, um, you know, I think that it will move into the Republican Party, but who knows if it's going to be quick enough to actually, you know, prevent some of this devastation that we're already seeing. Rachel? Yeah, I've seen a couple. So I was just reading uh, another piece in The Guardian that, so, you know, Boris Johnson, who's the primate, he's hosting the COP26, right? He's hosting this climate, this UN-sponsored climate summit um, right, this right, week. Right. And, um, and, and make no mistake, like, let's, let's just be clear about this. Boris Johnson is one of the most conservative leaders in the West, hands down. Uh, the United States has handed out more in COVID relief dollars to individual citizens than Great Britain has right now. So the United States government has been, that includes Trump, by the way. So this is no, like, this is no woke progressive. He's like, why haven't we done enough? Nobody's doing enough. We're not going to be able to get enough done at this. This is all, this is just a big song and dance. I'm terrified. I'm very, very, very concerned. And it may be because that man's country is on an island in the middle of uh, the Atlantic. So he understands the severity of weather because, you know, when something happens on one end of the island, it's, you know, it's a small country. It's a very small country. Um, so that just shows you how far behind the internet in, in sort of the international conversation the United States really is. Yeah. Um, and as far as like, when will things change? We'll, will we need another, I really am with Sean that this is the number one issue of most young voters. When you really break out the numbers, it's aside from, uh, access to healthcare, uh, improved access to not just improve, not just access to healthcare, but better healthcare, like better right. doctors, more choices, things like that. Um, you know, rural broadband and stuff like that. But like, really, the number, like it, it you know, the, what polls really fantastically well amongst younger voters are, um, you know, cap and trade and like anything, carbon sink technology, anything that's going to get carbon out of the air. And the Republicans, uh, since really since W, I mean, that's really when the whole thing got really craven was the W like he's that's that, that the, the talking point that Sean just mentioned from Pence, that's, 
That's going back to W days. That's that's coming directly yeah. out of Halliburton. It's like, well, we're not saying it's not happening, but we don't really know if it's man-made. You know, like yeah. that's very, very, very W. So they're not going to, you know, until the Republican Party gets gets rid of its geriatric problem, which it does, it has a very serious geriatric problem, um, they won't move. But, you know, the younger younger voters have to sort of get in front of Republican elected officials and have their own conversations with them. And I think until that happens, nothing changes. Well, let's move on to another area where the geriatric problem is very real, which is the economy. Um, Inflation is obviously being talked about a ton. Um, Lots of folks who want to point the finger and say that Joe Biden in eight or nine months has created 5% inflation by basically existing uh, and passing one major piece of legislation so far. Uh, so there's a few things at play here that I, I'm sort of seeing that I think are all part of this general story. So we've got the inflation piece of it, and there are some things that are kind of crazy. Now, if you took out, say, the cars, if you took that inflation out, um, hotels, right, rentals in general, if you took that inflation out, it really wouldn't be quite near what it looks like. So if you take some of those things out. Then we have labor, and labor, it seems, is realizing its own power sort of all collectively at one time, and this is one of those, I think the internet helps with that, where you've got all these people across the entire country who can all go, wait a second, all of us are getting, I thought it was me, I thought I was getting screwed, we're all getting screwed, oh, we should do something about this, and that's causing a huge ripple effect. We've also got the people who are simply making life changes. They are withdrawing from the rat race. They're deciding to go down to one person working instead of two people working if they have kids, all of those sorts of things. Plus, it turns out when you stop a global supply chain for months and months and months and months and months, it takes time to turn it back on and have it rev back up to speed. It makes me think of... You know, nowadays, if the lights go out in a major stadium, they come right back on because everything's LED. And, you know, we all remember back in the day, if, you know, if you're watching a sporting event, if you're at a sporting event, if the lights went off, it was like a 25 minute delay because it took forever for those lights to warm back up and come back on and do their job again. And that's kind of what has happened with the global shipping stuff is it takes a long time. You know, we had we had hog uh, plants that were slaughtering pigs because they couldn't do anything with them because of COVID issues. So they're behind. Everything is behind. Everything is catching up. Um, all of those things are all happening at one time, and yet things are still kind of okay <laughs> in the economy. So, right. yeah, uh, Sean, go ahead. Kick us off there. Well, the stock market hit another record high this week, I think, right? I right. Know and, of course, people Friday. will say the stock market is not the economy, and they're right. But it doesn't mean that it's not, you know, my blood pressure is not my health, but my doctor likes to look at it. Right. And it means that the bankers aren't freaking out. Right. They must like what they're seeing. You know, that's what I always think. So, yeah, I mean, prices are getting higher. I think this childcare thing will just be huge. I think you're right that most people's budgets are really going to just a handful of things. It's energy and utility costs, housing, healthcare, transportation, and you know, that about covers it, you know, servicing our debts from other stuff. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. Um, so, you know, people's feelings about the economy, I think, matter more 
you know, when it comes to elections, for sure. I just hope that um, we can pass this spending bill. Just keep juicing it up. Rachel? Yeah, so the other thing I'll mention is if you know anybody that works in um, logistics or uh, retail right now, so if you know anybody that works for like a clothing manufacturer or um, anybody in that in that space, uh, e-commerce too, um, one thing that people will really, you'll hear is that the thing that, re- that provided just as much disruption to the supply chain is the accident in the Suez Canal. That right. That right. is just as, the fact that it happened during COVID created an, a once in a kabillion year supply chain right. kink. Um, and it takes time if, for those ripples to hit the shore. Yeah. And like, just, so a lot of companies still haven't caught up um, in their own uh, order backlog from the Suez Canal disaster. Because remember it just because, yeah, there was one ship. So people may not know this, that over the summer, a ship got stuck in the Suez Canal. That's the biggest shipping lane uh, in the world, I'm pretty sure. If it wasn't such a damn travesty and tragedy, it would have been hilarious. Right. Uh, so the so the so the uh, so the, so the country of Egypt basically had to like hold the ship hostage to force this company from China to pay for the cost that the Egyptian government had to dredge the canal because this ship wasn't supposed to be where it was. It was yeah. a whole thing. So that is a just as big of a problem as the, uh, just what you just mentioned, that there are just all these like various like perfect storm issues that that held up supplies and food things. The other thing I heard, so there's a, a, a book out right now called Arriving Today by a journalist named Christopher Mims. And I've, I've seen him around. Uh, I've heard him on a couple of podcasts. And there's a fantastic uh, review of the book in um, a website that Adam hooked me up with this week or made me aware of called The Daily Yonder, which is really good. If you want to follow kind of like rural American news, it's a very, very, very smart site. And it's a great interview and it's a great review of the book. And it basically talks about, he started writing about supply chain issues before COVID. And so he had a really good opportunity to talk about like the life cycle of electronics and things, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, prior to COVID then during COVID. And when I heard him interviewed, he said, you know, the one thing that people need to remember if they're freaking out is that one of the reasons that we're having so many supply chain issues is also that demand has never been this high at the same time because no one can spend their money. Everybody has money, right? Everybody has liquidity right now, but no one can spend it on anything but stuff because no one can go anywhere because of the Delta variant. Right. So people are just buying new TVs and they're, you know, upgrading their cars and upgrading their computers because they can't travel. Um, Everybody bought all the same stuff all at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Never. It's never, all these things are unprecedented. So the economy is incredibly complicated it's very, uh, and I, I, I've read somewhere, I may buy maybe one of the links that you included, and there was also something in the New York Times that all the economists are like, it's going to be fine. It's not going to hurt Biden. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. By the end of the quarter, it's going to be totally fine. It's going to be great. Well, that, and that, that is, of course, the big, huge, huge question is, is it going to make a, a massive difference in what happens in the midterms? Because that's what this is all aimed at, right? We're basically a year out from that. Um, everybody's looking at this Virginia race this week to go, oh, this is going to tell us what's going to oh, happen. I, I saw my first headline today that was like, is this a reckoning for right. Biden? But I mentioned last week and I was like, shut up. You no, always say no, this not. for the first off election, like off cycle election that happens after a new president. And it never is. And yeah. everyone stopped. It never is ever. Well, there's, there's too many moving parts, but. 
Well, that that's uh, that'll do it for this week uh, for the talking politics topics. And we are normally this is when we would move into the last call. We're not going to do that because remember that's on Patreon only now. So you got to subscribe to get the last call. What we do have is very quickly our final thoughts. So two minutes each. Sean, you are up first for the last call. So your two minutes starts now. Oh, wow. This is really hard. Okay. Well, I wanted to unpack Your final the, thoughts, uh, not last call. Did I say last call? I meant final thoughts. Sorry. Oh, okay. Final thoughts. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about this Krauss character in Texas. He is running for attorney general, which is a statewide position and the state's highest law enforcement position. So it, it is a big deal that this is what he's talking about. And he is specifically looking to ban books that are make that would make children, students, feel discomfort because of their race specifically is in his three page complaint, which we can put on the show notes if we, um, if folks are interested in checking that out. But the fact is that the fight for free speech has always been at the center of the fight for racial justice, because having two classes or multiple classes of people, you know, white supremacy and exclusionary policies aren't, they don't fit with our country's ideals. And so to the extent that slavery lasted, you know, 150 years in this country, or I guess, uh, you know, 100 years, and then Jim Crow and the Black Codes had legalized segregation and violent repression of people looking for the right to vote, the right to hold office, and the right to speak out. And, uh, you know, in this book that I have been talking about a couple of times, These Truths by Jill Lepore, she quotes Frederick Douglass. I don't know if I'm over my two minutes yet, but uh, slavery cannot tolerate free speech. And opposition to free speech has long been the position of slave holders, slave owners, position taken at the Constitutional Convention that they actually prohibited discussion about slavery as a federal law. And uh, so that's what this guy is talking about. And the fact that it's about race, you know, is all the more reason to reject it. All right. My final thought for the week, um, vaccination rates have got to go up. They, they've got to go up. And there has to be a broader push on this. Missouri's vaccination rate is horrible. Uh, it will continue to cost lives. It will continue to hurt economic sectors. And there is going to be a long-term health impact in untold numbers that we still don't fully understand. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of it. Uh, I know that Nicholas is going to get into those details himself. Um, but uh, he, of course, dealt with COVID. We documented that with some shows. They have dealt with a child who has dealt with secondary effects. And it's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. And there is a massive gap right now when we're talking about the rural and urban uh, gaps on vaccinations and it's not good and it's it's not helping anybody rural areas are still well under well under 50 percent when we're talking about vaccination rates the county that i'm in is somewhere just north of a third so under 40 percent um and and i just don't i just don't get it i understand I can understand a small group of folks who genuinely have questions about the health impacts of a vaccination, and I can appreciate that. But when you pair that with the let's go, Brandon, folks, the code, trying to speak code, 
to say fuck Joe Biden, which, by the way, if you can't just say it, then don't say it. If you can't use the words, don't don't use the words because you're a chicken shit. You're a coward if you can't just use the words. Because I have no problem saying fuck Donald Trump. I thought he was horrible. If you can't say it, you're a chicken shit. And if that's the reason you don't want to get a vaccination is because you're more interested in saying let's go Brandon and owning the libs, I just don't understand it. And and I want to understand it because I want to reach those people, but there's got to be something done. There's just got to be something more done. Rachel? I'm going to end on a little bit of a high note. Um, uh, John Stewart's back on television, you guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm so, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where like, so if, if you've, if you don't know this, John Stewart uh, has a show on Apple TV. Not everybody has. I get all the things. I'm a junkie. I love all the streaming TV stuff. Um, it's called The Problem with John Stewart. And it is a little bit of, you'll, it's a very, his style is very familiar. He is monologuing from a desk, but he's also taking a much more serious kind of documentary news style approach where he kind of does the John Oliver style where he takes a single issue and kind of dives into it really deeply. Um, the show is fantastic. Um, it's really well done. And there's something about seeing him back right now that, that restored my faith in our culture. Um, he was a real, I think for a, a lot of adults during the Bush years, he was, he and Colbert were always kind of the shining light. They were like, you're not crazy. They're gaslighting you. We're going to make fun of all of the people that need to be made fun of in power and especially the narrative about the 24 hour news networks. And so Stuart came back in full form and Wagner showed up with her freedom moment. Um, not in the way that she thinks. Uh, and so I'm going to recommend that show. And I would even, uh, I would even say like, bring someone along who you think could maybe is sort of somewhat uh, open to different ideas and make them watch it because there's something about John Stewart that is so, I mean, he's worked his ass off for first responders in New York. And you, if you want to get somebody's mind open, make them watch the first episode where he talks to veterans of the Iraq war, whose lungs and health is permanently damaged from open trash pits where they burn body parts, feces, uh, trash. They burn all the trash. The, the, the military just set it all on fire um, and maybe sit down with that person. And maybe by the end of it, they will be complying with all kinds of vaccines um, because he does such a good job. And it's great that he's back. That's my last thought. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, we are going to record a last call. And if you want to join us for that, subscribe on Patreon. And there it will be. See you all next week. Pod is a production of Midmap Media LLC. Learn more about us at heartlandpod.com. On Twitter at the Heartland Pod, same on Facebook. Email us with heartlandpod2020 at gmail.com. Check us out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Patreon to get access to exclusive member benefits. <laughs>